Welcome to Arkansas AgCast, your source for the latest news and views in Arkansas agriculture. Arkansas AgCast is produced by the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation. Welcome to the Arkansas AgCast for July 23rd. I'm your host, Rob Anderson. This week, we learn about a major donation by the Anheuser-Busch Foundation to support the Arkansas Discovery Farms Project, and we get the latest on the Federal Paycheck Protection Program and an extension to the program's application period. We also talk to Altus Mayor Veronica Post about the cancellation of three agriculture-related festivals in her community due to the COVID-19 pandemic. First, Greg Patterson has a conversation with Altus Mayor Veronica Post about the cancellation of three agriculture-related festivals in her community due to the coronavirus, and she explains the economic and social impacts of not having those events this year. This is Greg Patterson with Arkansas Farm Bureau, and on this edition of Arkansas AgCast, we're pleased to have Altus Mayor Veronica Post, and Veronica, welcome. Well, thank you. Pleased to be here. Well... Unfortunate circumstances uh, for you all in the Altus area because the reason we have you on here is you have three festivals that occur usually during the the spring and summer months into the fall, early fall, and all of them have had to be canceled because of the COVID issue. So you already lost your your May festival uh, that you do and the springtime gala and the grape festival uh which which would happen the last weekend of july and then there's the Weedaker wine festival that happens in the first weekend of october so what's the impact on you all well it's uh it's pretty dramatic uh of an impact because of our um our size and where we are um you know in the state we're in a rural part, which is a beautiful setting in, in the country, but we do rely on these festivals because they bring um, an immense amount of, of tourists and visitors to our area. So having uh, one canceled in the spring, one canceled in summer, one canceled in fall, has it's going to affect us uh, continually this year, and um, its its effects will be felt uh, for quite some time in this entire area and our state. Now, now give our listeners um, kind of a, a feel for uh, each one of those festivals, um, the Springtime Gala, the Grape Festival, and the Wine Festival. How many people tend to show up? What kind of economic impact that is in the surrounding area? Okay. Well, the Springtime Gala... Um, is our very first one being the first Saturday of May and the weather is pleasant. It is uh, very much an outdoor craft fair and is not connected with uh, the wine wineries or the wine tasting and so it's um, more for our farmers and our craft people who make these products, whatever their talents, and they bring them to this outdoor event and sell them for their revenue, their families. And then, of course, our area benefits, our city, our county, our state. We all benefit from the increased revenue and the sales at that time. So the Springtime Gala is for, uh, you know, all of the folks that are craftspeople. And uh, these are their talents. And we love for them to bring their items for uh 
sale to the city and and we get thousands of people generally from all over um Arkansas and you know it reach, reaches into Missouri and Oklahoma and Texas. We have vendors that come from those states, so it affects a lot of people and some from Louisiana. So yeah. so you you say it's it's primarily a craft festival but also some some farm products that are sold I would assume more in line with uh kind of what a, a farmers market would look like a, a big farmers market. Yes, it absolutely. The honey man, the people who sell plants, you know, again, this is a spring festival and it's the first one in our area in the year, so all of those folks bring things out and sell them and a lot of plants are sold and uh, uh, some produce at that time and a lot of uh, you know the honey products and things like that so it's a great opportunity for people to start their their spring off with those items and then the grape festival being in the last weekend of july then that's a little warmer time of year that we never know how warm it's going to be but we always have outdoor activities and things that will enhance the pleasure of people while they're at the festival. Again, it's held in the same place as the Springtime Gala. It is held all over the Alpha City Park downtown. That one is our largest event. It has uh, We've had upwards of 5,000, 6,000 people in the past, just depending on weather and, and if there's any other events going on and, and of course, the public you know, so yeah, it's our largest one. That one impacts the entire area heavily, and uh, so we've had such minimal tourism traffic this year already, and and then that one will be a dramatic effect. And for Altus, uh, our city, September's our largest revenue on sales tax, based upon the fact that that's the July festival, and people come in early. They come to town early. Um, they come to uh, area cities, they stay, they shop, and so it, it's been a big blessing to have it in that summer month, but this year, uh, it's gonna. we don't know how drastically it's going to affect us yet, and September will show us that. And, so, and of course, so, it's grape products. We have lots of grape products, too. So, um, you have five, six thousand people that show up for the grape festival and the 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 extra impact is you have people that come in and stay overnight a night or two in the area. I'm sure they're visiting um some of the attractions that are around there, the other or, or the vineyards and and whatnot. How many people what is the population of Altus? Well, the census says we're 758, but we've grown. Um, we're we're somewhere between um, 850 and, and 950 to 1,000 in the area. So when you bring wow, in so that many go, people, yes. You go well, five you, or six times your your population yes. with the Great Festival, so that's a huge right. economic impact for you all. Yes, it is, and that's why it affects the, the neighboring cities. And, and the entire county um, and even other counties around because these vendors have to stay somewhere um, and then the festival attendees stay somewhere. And so we really benefit um, 
our, our whole state in so much in so many ways. And that festival itself, because of the type of festival it is, you know, we have the wine tasting. All the wineries are supporting it. All of them produce and, and all of them benefit. All of them participate. So it's huge. And we have people come from many states around. And um, we've had international visitors to that festival as well in July to the Great Fest. So that's why it, it's so well attended, so popular. And, again, it's the biggest one, the first one in the summer. Um, the grapes are just getting ripe. Everybody's ready for grapes. They're ready for the grape juice. They're ready to make stuff. We have the grape pie eating contest. There's so much grape fun. Now, um, now, now tell me that again. You have a grape pie eating contest? Yes, Greg. You're just going to have to come and participate. <laughs> it's fabulous. Yes, doesn't cost you a thing to enter, and you get to eat all the grape pie you can, and you might even win a prize. Yes, and of course we have the popular grape stomps with the grape grapes in in the bins in the barrels. And um, when the weather doesn't participate and help us out, the one year that we had the horrible freeze and we lost all our grapes, we had no grapes to stomp, and that was interesting. So we've had to do some really creative things when when weather has hurt us in the past. And so I don't know what we'll do for, for helping us out for the coronavirus because we're not going to be able to have the festival at all. And so, you know, we'll have to see what, what we can do next year to be creative to make it an even better festival next year. But, you know, and then the fall one, the Wine Fest, um, you know, that one is at Whitaker's, but, but all the area – you know, we all have events going on um, at, at the, some of these other wineries. We do, and it brings tourists. It gives them another opportunity to visit all all the area wineries, and and they have events there as well. So that one's canceled, um, and the effect goes beyond our vendors, our crafters, the wineries. It goes beyond yeah, that. I, 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 yeah. I was going to ask you about that because because there is a an unseen effect as well, and tell us a little bit about that. Yes, Greg. The effect of that, obviously, the obvious ones are the sales tax reductions um, when you don't have the sales. And so our city, our police and fire are total funded by sales tax. Our general fund that operates the city is by uh, sales tax. And, you know, the county gets their sales tax. Well, that county tax, okay, it goes to help support our local hospital, our jail, our EMS, our ambulance service. Um, so all of these services that, that are for the people are affected by reduced sales tax, uh, as well, like I said, about the city and our services. And our our personnel, our utilities, our departments, we can't reduce them. We still have to have them. We have to have them to operate and to provide these municipal and county services for the people and to continue to, to give them, um, you know, a good way of life even through this pandemic. So then the, the state, of course, they don't get their tourism tax. The state reduced, is reduced in their sales tax, and the state, of course, has all these other services. But beyond that, the unseen is, like I said, that the, uh, reduced sales, an opportunity of sales for our vendors, the crafters, these people who make all these wonderful things, 
but also our Chamber of Commerce um, helps to co-sponsor that grape festival, and our chamber provides scholarships to local high school graduates. And so we have reduced income. So this year the chamber board has already decided they can't award scholarships. So therefore it's it's impacting our, our graduates, our school students. And, wow. and there's many, many other ways I could tell you, but those are the main ones that wow. I can relate, yes. Yeah, so I'm wondering, have you had any conversations or do you plan to, um, let's say, with some of the other communities that have had to cancel these ag-related festivals like the the Peach Festival that occurs in Johnston County and there's the Watermelon Festival that occurs that happens each year and there's the, the tomato festival and some of these have already been canceled and, and missed out on, are you going to talk to some of uh, your other fellow, fellow mayors and, and is there an attempt maybe to talk to the state as well to try and see um, what can be done? Because you're talking about when you talk fire and you talk EMS and, and, and you've got, uh, hospitals. I mean, those are people who are frontline COVID workers as well. Yes, they are, Greg. And we have been talking. We have a regular forum of all mayors and and county leaders, and we've been talking to the state. They're very aware of it as it's impacted the state too. So obviously, there's a lot of economic impacts. How how have your vendors taken the bad news of three festivals being canceled? Well. Greg, they've been very understanding. Obviously, uh, the areas that they're all living in and coming from are um, under the same precautions as we are in our state and our community. And uh, one vendor even said, Mayor, I'm just going to look forward to uh, the next time and uh, save all my products and have an even bigger selection and and hopefully just an even better successful uh, sales event at at next year's Great Festival. And so I was appreciative of that outlook, and we do hope that the ones who can um, just make their products ahead and and have um, an even bigger show and even bigger success all at one time and kind of make it up. But, course for the the cities and the counties we can't we have to keep operating and and moving forward and um, you know I know our state's trying to do what they can and but we're all cutting expenses wherever we can Um, in our city you know we just have to we've put off any maintenance and um, any unnecessary uh, expenditures that we can that we can put off um, obviously, some things we can't, and we can't stop utilities. We've got to keep the services for the, the residents. But um, it's affecting everyone, and we're all trying to just hang in there together and um, look for next year or the year ahead, the festivals, just make them bigger and better. That's the hopeful outcome we can look at it at this point. Well, you are – certainly to be commended mayor for um, uh, making sure that you know you're making decisions based on what's safest for not only your um, townspeople and citizens in the surrounding area but the folks who would have been coming in and and that's obviously to be commended it's a huge economic impact um, and you're making you know the necessary adjustments you can right now to 
to make up for it and hopefully we'll have this thing licked and next year you can can be back in the in the festival business what effect has has the whole covid situation had you think in just your your agriculture people around uh, the area you've got wineries that are making wine you've got some craft beer makers you've got restaurants you've got a variety of different things and and what's the impact in there well with the wineries and the and the beer making we're hopeful that um you know even with people it being um sheltered and having to um minimize their social activities that the sales are still uh, going on for those products and right. and they have been they have been to a certain extent we we haven't seen any uh, downturn in that but the agriculture the farmers markets some of those are coming out again and you know they can set up and social distance so I'm hopeful that as the summer continues on, we'll see uh, more of the farmer's market vendors maybe just setting up. Uh, we, we have our city park, and, and I had a call on that last week. We let people set up, and there's no charge, and they can sell their products from their farm. So we're hopeful that those will continue on, and the farmer's markets and the, the farmers can make some revenue from their products and they won't go to waste and then um, a lot of places use the farm to table products um, at the trellis room at post winery they make use of that we're making use of products from local farmers so that helps right. them and if if all of the areas across the state and, and other states do that then i'm hopeful that our farmers can still make use of their product and and it won't affect them too badly you know, throughout the rest of the year. It remains to be seen how how devastating and, and, you know, how their workers are affected, too. Well, she is Mayor Veronica Post, mayor of Altus, Arkansas, and has been letting us know, uh, our listeners, about the uh, uh, difficulties uh, she and her community and surrounding area face because of the cancellation of of three festivals um, that are ag-related festivals. And, and Mayor Post, thank you so much for spending time today on uh, Arkansas AgCast. We really appreciate it, and we wish you all the best there. And Stay safe and stay healthy. Greg, we appreciate you folks, too. Thank you so much. And we're going to do the same as you. We're going to remain hopeful for a wonderful year ahead. Next, Keith Sutton talks to Mike Daniels with the Cooperative Extension Service about the Anheuser-Busch Foundation's $130,000 donation to the Arkansas Discovery Farms Project and discusses what it could mean for the program. Welcome to AgCast. This is Keith Sutton with Arkansas Farm Bureau. Today I am visiting with Mike Daniels with the University of Arkansas Division of Agriculture Cooperative Extension Service. Mike, welcome to AgCast. Thank you, Keith. It's a pleasure. We are glad to have you here with us today because we got a good news story. Uh, I know you are one of the co-founders of Arkansas Discovery Farms, and we've got some good news uh, for Discovery Farms. Tell us first, for those who may not know, what what is a Discovery Farm? Well, Discovery Farm is a is a private commercial farm that has volunteered 
to work with us to document uh, environmental stewardship or environmental sustainability on their farm. And so we monitor things like water quality at the end of the field, uh, soil health, water use, uh, those type of things. Uh, and, and the idea is to document what is actually happening on real farms uh, because we didn't have a lot of data on this information. We had a lot of concern and emotion and a lot of fingers pointing at agriculture, but we really didn't have any quantifiable data. And, and so we're working in partnership with these farmers and with our other partners such as NRCS, the Arkansas Association of Conservation Districts, and Farm Bureau um, to, to, to get on these farms and collect this data. And, and what we found so far is that uh, from a water quality perspective, uh, it's not nearly, we're not finding nearly as much nutrients running off as some would lead you to believe. In fact, in a lot of cases, we lose less than 5% of the nutrients that we apply as fertilizer. That's good news. That's real good news. When we learn information like that, we can share with folks that farmers are doing a good job. Absolutely. And I, I mentioned our partners. We have 21 different uh, funding partners uh, that have helped fund this, and uh, they range from the Walton Family Foundation to Farm Bureau to Natural Resources Conservation to EPA to Arkansas Natural uh, Resources Commission. So we, Arkansas Department of, of Agriculture. So we, this is a, a, a program that seems to be very well accepted by a lot of different partners. Uh, as a as an approach to help agriculture, and so we have just learned that Anheuser Busch Foundation uh, would also like to be a partner. And tell us maybe first uh, why why would Anheuser Busch be worried about what's going on on farms? Well, uh, Anheuser Busch would be very worried about what's going on farm. Uh, they they purchase about 21, 22 million bushels of rice per year to use wow. in the brewing process. And uh, they they have a rice mill in Jonesboro, Arkansas. They, they process about 2.6 million pounds of rice a day. And so they have direct relationships and contracts with rice farmers in Arkansas. And Anheuser-Busch started a corporate-wide um program to improve sustainability. In fact, they've invested over $58 million to improving sustainability at their existing operations. And to show that commitment, they they have come up with a, a, a program called Smart Agriculture. And one of their goals is including water stewardship. They use a lot of water at their plants, but they've cut that back significantly. But they're trying to go through the supply chain and help those contract growers they're not demanding, they're not, uh, 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 but they, they are trying to put programs in place to help their farmers uh, use less water. They are concerned, like all of us, that uh, we're going to run out of groundwater if we don't find ways to reduce our, our, our irrigation use. And so uh, through that Smart Agriculture program, they contacted us last fall and found out about our Discovery Farm program. They were actually funding some work on soil fertility with Dr. Trent Roberts and mentioned to Trent what they were wanting to do. And he said, we've got a perfect program for that called Discovery Farms. And then they contacted us and uh, wanted to, to see what we thought. And we thought it was a great idea. 
And so they had a cooperator in mind in Greene County, and we went up and visited and found the, the farm to be suitable. And then this spring we put in our monitoring equipment. Uh, we put in irrigation flow meters that have data loggers on it. We looked at some of the data just yesterday, and you can see clearly when the well is turned on and off. And this will help us analyze how can we better use water, how can we reduce the amount of water that we're losing. And so through our monitoring, we're, we're monitoring every drop of water that goes on that field and then monitoring every drop of water that leaves that field as runoff. And so we hope to to uh, leverage other funding and do even more in the future. But this has been a great start uh, by Anheuser-Busch. Uh, and, and what they hope to do is take this data and not only educate their rice producers, but other rice producers around the country. And uh, that we have seen interest from from others, uh, rice companies in the state, to want to do something similar. And, and so uh, th this program is, is there. It's set up to be farmer-led, stakeholder-driven, um, and and it, it is drawing a lot of interest because I think a lot of people recognize the the water quantity problem as a real uh, issue that will affect our farmers in the future. And so I guess we could say uh, Anheuser-Busch has put their money where their mouth is. They just uh, uh, made a big gift to uh, our Discovery Farm program here. And can you tell folks uh, more about that, please? Yes. They uh, initially granted us $80,000 to buy equipment um, and then to set up the farm. And then they came back and were pleased with what we were doing and offered another 30, uh, I'm sorry, another 50,000 for a total of 130,000. Um, the Division of Agriculture is obviously matching that. In fact, it's put in, uh, made the decision to put some money into it themselves um, to make sure that we had enough to work with to get this thing going and have, uh, uh, you, you know, to do a really good job on this important issue. Uh, a uh, press release just came out recently from Cooperative Extension, and it included a, a quote from uh, Bill Bradley, the Vice President of Community Affairs for Anheuser-Busch. And I just wanted to read that because I think it's kind of important to our discussion. He said, the work of land-grant universities is critical as we collectively look for ways to make farming more sustainable and profitable. Our company's commitment to farmers spans generations, and it's exciting to work with those that represent the next generation. I think that says a lot in just two little sentences there. That's a, it really does. It's a very humbling uh, uh, quote to hear, uh, and we're glad they feel that way. And we, we want to develop uh, greater and greater and stronger and stronger relationships with those that want to support farming. And uh, Anheuser-Busch has step, certainly stepped up to do that. They funded four land-grant universities, and we are very uh, feel very privileged to be one of those four land-grant universities to receive some of their funding. Yeah, we should mention uh, Arkansas is not the only locale. The other recipients of money are University of Idaho, uh, North Dakota State University, and Montana. So uh, we're real proud that Arkansas is one of the four uh, that they decided to help with. And uh, I know uh, you must be excited to have that extra funding to 
promote more work on our discovery farms. Yes, and we're, our contact locally from Jonesboro is Bill Jones, and he's just been terrific to work with. He's He actually came out in the field and helped install some equipment and really worked very closely with the uh, the Comptons. James Compton and his son, Nathan, uh, are the farmers that are working with us on this. And, and really what we're doing is we're looking at uh, – uh, you know, four different scenarios. We're, we're looking at uh, of how to buy water rice. One is just using the the, the uh, uh, it's land level, but looking at the levy spill system. Another one is looking at the levy spill system, but doing it with uh, uh, multiple inlet rice, where we flood up the the patties at the same time rather than letting it spill over, and we find that that can be more efficient. And, water use. The other one is row rice, which is gaining a lot of uh, attention and a lot of people are trying it. And then this is the first year that uh, insurance companies will insure row rice. In the past, they haven't. Um, the University of Arkansas Division of Agriculture released a handbook on row rice earlier this year. It's efforts by Dr. Jared Harkey, a rice specialist, and one of his graduate students, Justin, Justin Chalpeca, who's been working on this. And uh, then the other one we're looking at is zero grade. Uh, that's a big investment, but we find zero grade. Uh, you don't have to use gravity to run water off, so you don't, you know, to flood your field, so you don't lose water. You hold it in there like a bathtub. And then the other one is alternative wetting and drying, which also can have the combined effect of, of reducing water use, uh, but also potentially uh, reducing greenhouse uh, gases. And so those are the things that we're looking at. These are new ways of, of flooding rice fields. And, and uh, uh, as far as water quality, we'll be collecting water quality data. But our past efforts on discovery farms have shown that rice actually works uh, kind of like a wetland. They, be, they, they uh, We've had several cases where the, the nutrient levels, especially phosphorus, in, in, in the groundwater that we're using for irrigation is at a higher concentration when it comes out of the irrigation than when it leaves the bottom of the field. So it actually, uh, you know, rice can act as a, as a constructed wet, wetland, which is a known practice for reducing nutrients. Uh, so rice uh, is, is a good crop in that. Well, the bottom line is when all is said and done, hopefully we'll find new ways to uh, promote sustainability on our farms. Uh, in this case, rice farms in particular, and that's good news for everybody. Absolutely. And our farmers, I think a lot of our farmers are committed. They just need to know and see that uh, and find documentation that these methods will work. And that's exactly what we're trying to do is put numbers to these ideas and to make sure uh, that we have some data to base our, our future decisions on. We always uh, expect good, hard, scientific data from Cooperative Extension, and in all y'all do, uh, what you do for our state's farmers is is uh, just unbelievable. And we appreciate you taking time today to tell us more about uh, this special grant and how it'll help. And uh, we'll look forward to talking with you again in the very near future, Mike. Okay. Well, Keith, one more thing. If anybody needs more information, on rice water management, uh, they can contact our county agents locally in their county through their county cooperative extension office, 
we are open and we are still at work and uh, we're hard at it and we'll be glad to help anyone that has questions or needs concerned to rice water management. And we encourage everybody to take advantage of that help and uh, visit with your local extension folks. There's there's always good help available there. And Keith, most of all, we really really appreciate the support of uh, Farm Bureau in this effort. Uh, we we started this not on our own. We took a group of Farm Bureau members up to Wisconsin to see their Discovery Farm, and we asked them to guide us as if we do we want this program or not. And and they absolutely, Farm Bureau members wanted this program and helped us start receiving uh, obtaining funding that we needed to do this program. So we owe a big thank you. And we certainly see Farm Bureau as a very key partner in this process. And we encourage everybody, you can uh, visit uh, the Cooperative Extension Service website at uaex.edu. There's lots more information there. Uh, and uh, we know you're always available to help as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what we're here for. All right, Mike, thank you very much for your time, and uh, congratulations on this big grant. We know uh, you must be proud to, to be able to fund some more uh, work to promote sustainability on our farms. Well, thank you, Keith, but it, it's been more than just me and my co-leader, Andrew Sharpley. It's our partners. Um, it's other specialists, so it's, it's just been a very uh, 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 blessed program. And we're just very fortunate that people in the state of Arkansas and the agricultural community uh, support this and want to see this happen. And we're glad to uh, share this good news story today. That's a, a good way to, to leave it uh, with folks. Uh, here's something good happening, and it'll help all of us. And uh, we appreciate your time. All right. Thank you. Both chambers of Congress have voted to extend the application period for the Federal Paycheck Protection Program. R.J. Carney, Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation, talks to Ken Moore about how the PPP loan program has $130 billion remaining and how AFBF is working with Congress on important revisions to the legislation so more farmers and ranchers will be eligible to participate. I'm Ken Moore, and this week I am speaking with R.J. Carney, R.J. is Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation in Washington. R.J., thanks for being with us on this edition of AgCast. Thanks, Ken. Look forward to speaking with you today. Appreciate all the work you guys are doing up there in Washington on the Hill, uh, representing our farmers and ranchers across the country. And uh, uh, we're well into, I think, the fourth month of having to deal with this COVID-19 pandemic, R.J., and uh, You've been working very closely with our members of Congress uh, there at AFBF to uh, obtain uh, relief and aid for our uh, farmers and ranchers across the country. The Paycheck Protection Program uh, was one of those types of aid that came out a few months ago. Congress passed that. Uh, and now uh, we learned just uh, about a week ago that both chambers of Congress have voted to extend uh, the Federal Paycheck Protection Program. Talk about why an extension is so important because so many of our farmers and ranchers were unable to participate the first time around, weren't they? They, they were, Ken. And uh, really, uh, the Paycheck Protection Program uh, was instituted uh, back, I believe it was in, in March or April, and it was going to be a new, uh, a new loan program to, keep, to allow employee, employers to keep their employees on the payroll. 
and it added a, a twist to it where it's going to be a forgiveness factor, a loan forgiveness factor that if you used these payments specific for, for specific purposes such as payroll uh, and also for rental or, or mortgage interests and utilities, then a loan, when it comes due, uh, if it's used for those purposes, would be for, uh, largely forgiven. And uh, on this included roughly in the two rounds of payment uh, that Congress has, has uh, provided close to $650 billion for the Paycheck Protection Program. However, as you mentioned in the, in the opening comments, uh, farmers and ranchers and agricultural businesses were severely impacted and limited in accessing uh, the Paycheck Protection Program. In fact, according to SBA's data, which was released uh, towards the end of June, only 1.5% of loans were distributed to the agriculture, forestry, fishing, and hunting sectors. Now, PPP has provided vital assistance for the farmers and ranchers who were able to receive those loans, but when it's such a small amount of only 1.5% of the total loans going to the ag industry, Farm Bureau has been working with members of Congress to find technical corrections uh, that will really broaden and allow the program to be uh, more accessible for farmers and ranchers moving forward. And we're hopeful and working with the Senate right now on making some of those changes. So as Congress begins its next round of a potential stimulus package, a lot of these changes could be implemented and we could see more money going to where it's needed within the agriculture sector. Thanks. Uh, just again, why and I guess it's kind of a uh, kind of a I'm not going to say confusing, but some technicalities here. Why were so few farmers and ranchers or ag-related businesses able to participate the first time? Like you say, these corrections are needed, and and hopefully we'll see those numbers uh, pick up as we go through the fall. Absolutely. the 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 very the first hurdle, and this was the what coming out the gate uh, when the program was first released. There were questions on whether or not agriculture enterprises were even eligible to participate. And I would say that that was the initial just completely stopped all momentum from financial institutions. You have to go to a lender to receive paycheck protection programs. There was a lot of lenders were saying agriculture businesses, if you were not a cooperative, if you were not a nursery, were ineligible. And historically, agriculture enterprises were not eligible to participate in small business administration programming. Now, that did change. Uh, AFBF, in partnership with many other agricultural organizations across the country, uh, spoke with members of Congress. We learned that, no, the congressional intent was that ag enterprises would be eligible and would be able to participate in the Paycheck Protection Program. But it, it took many weeks, uh, and it also took a lot of guidance and clarifying uh, documents coming from the Small Business Administration and the Treasury Department to clarify and say, yes, ag enterprises, if you have 500 or less employees, are eligible to participate in the Paycheck Protection Program. Well, that first round of funding, which was close to about $350 billion, that was completely depleted within three or four weeks of the program just rolling out that money. So that first round agriculture was severely impacted just by the, the question of eligibility. Mm. Once eligibility was answered and farmers and ranchers were able to start participating, going and, and 
asking and trying to get the PPP loans, Congress did reinstitute and, and put more money back into the program, close to another 350 or so billion dollars. And uh, that's when we really start to get into some of these technical issues. Okay. Again, this is a, a new industry for the Small Business Administration. So agriculture, which is just ta for tax purposes, for tax filings, they, they file different forms than what a uh, maybe your more brick-and-mortar uh, businesses would, would be filing. So one aspect of this, and I'll, I'll can get into a little bit more detail on this, is with regards to sole proprietors. So a farmer who identifies as a sole proprietor, and according to our data, there's 86% of farms and ranchers organize as sole proprietors. Okay. Well, what the SBA guidance document had was if you have a negative or a zero net farm income on your Schedule F, you are ineligible to participate in the Paycheck Protection Program. Now, you can still do it based off some employees if your employee count is there, but the, there are, that's severely impacted, as you can tell, by having 86% of farmers identify as sole proprietors. A significant portion of sole proprietors who, in 2019, faced natural disasters, the trade wars were ongoing, there were severe limitations and impacts on commodity prices. So a lot of farms in, all across the country had a zero or negative number on their net farm income. Mm -hmm. What, uh, according to uh, the, the IRS data going back to 2017, more than a third of self-employed farmers would not have received a loan through the PPP program because of net losses from the prior year. So putting that data into 2020 figures, we anticipate that number to be significantly higher than just a third because of the natural disasters, the trade wars, and the other impacts that really uh, impacting commodity commodities. So what Farm Bureau has been working on and we've uh, supported is a, 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 a new bill that's been introduced that would focus uh, for sole proprietors go away from the net farm income and base PPP loans, I'm sorry, the paycheck protection loans on gross receipts as opposed to your net farm income. So that's one technical correction. We're working closely with members on, uh, in the Senate. Uh, this bill was introduced by Senators Thune and Senators, ba Senators Thune and Baldwin, and we're supporting this initiative and hopeful that we can see this correction changed. I think that would be one significant change that of the many that we're asking for that would broaden this base and allow a lot more farmers and ranchers to participate in the Paycheck Protection Program. Well, thanks for that explanation. I, I really appreciate that. It just makes sense. Uh, last year, you referenced the uh, weather impacts uh, on, on production as well as the trade war uh, with China that, you know, now we've got some new trade deals. We've got USMCA in place. Uh, we've got phase one of the Chinese deal that's been implemented. Uh, but how is the now the, the new <laughs> problem and crisis for farmers and ranchers is the pandemic and uh, the fact that it's interrupting supply chain issues. You know, earlier in the spring, uh, production plants, processing plants were being affected, uh, employees in, uh, infected with the virus and shutting down. 
how does all this come into play? And just describe for our listeners the real, genuine, legitimate need that these uh, producers have out there. Sure thing. So uh, we're 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 in a essentially a, a once in a hundred year uh, 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 pandemic, um, and and this is one that has had on it's it's had unprecedented challenges, uh, not only for the agriculture sector but across all industries uh, across that that are that take place not only in the United States but across the entire world. So what we don't know yet are what the final effects are going to be. I, we're, we're still in the middle of the pandemic, uh, still trying to navigate. Farmers and ranchers are still trying to navigate their way through it and determine what are the impacts. So a lot is happening more on a, a daily, a monthly basis, and uh, it's, it's hard to know what the final damage is going to be when, when you're in the middle of something. Mm-hmm. However, we have seen um, a lot of resiliency uh, coming from farmers, from ranchers who are, who are out there working um, 24-7. Uh, they are out there still supplying food, still um, opening up their businesses, and finding ways and having to be creative, uh, whether that be partnering and, and doing more uh, within uh, the, the food markets, uh, going to your farmer's markets. Uh, direct sales is another way that a lot of farmers are having to become more creative uh, within the food supply. And that's one thing overall where I, I think uh, consumers, one thing that we have seen within the uh, hearing, talking with state farm bureaus and hearing from uh, members of the American Farm Bureau is they're hearing more and more from their consumers who recognized how much work it takes to produce the food that's going to their table. And they're not looking at the food coming from a grocery store. They're looking at the food coming from where it originates, and that's on the farm. And there's a lot more appreciation growing. There's a strong resiliency within farmers and ranchers who take great pride and ownership of the food they are producing. And they recognize uh, the, the significance they have in maintaining that food supply system. So, yes, we are in the middle of a severe pandemic, uh, one that has um, cost lives and, and has had severe impacts across many industries. But farmers are still out there farming. They're still farming. They're out there 24-7. And there's a, a growing appreciation from the consumer base as well, recognizing the effort and the production that's needed to sustain a, a food supply, not only within the United States, but again, for markets, when we're talking about the trade deals, going across the world. So there's there's been a strong resiliency here that I think farmers and ranchers should be proud of, of their efforts um, throughout this entire process, and it's still unfolding. Now you work with your colleagues on a regular basis uh, with uh, members of Congress on the Hill to enact our policy issues. And, and right now, you know, a lot of our policy uh, <laughs> that we had at the beginning of the year is kind of taken a back seat to some degree because of the need for, you know, uh, the PPP program, for uh, the uh, CPAP program, other forms of congressional aid. Do you see uh, bipartisanship? Uh, how do you, And I guess the question is, as we get closer and closer to the election, will we see bipartisanship to try to continue to uh, enact this legislation, get this aid out there to the to the people of America, to our farmers and ranchers, uh, even though we have an election brewing? 
So whenever you have an election year, uh, politics is always a lot more difficult to navigate. Uh, it's, it's, it's one where as you get closer and closer to the election, as we are, it's a lot more difficult and you see a lot more partisanship uh, barriers uh, popping up. Uh, in, and you, you can see with regards to how the, the leadership in, this, in the House and the leadership in the Senate is trying to have – this, this round of negotiations is going to be the toughest that has uh, culminated throughout these past few months. Uh, you, the House passed their HEROES Act, uh, I believe it was back in, in May, um, and that was a total cost of close to $3 trillion. Wow. The Senate and the White House have already come out, and, and they're, they're in the midst of their negotiations right now. Uh, we expect to see a Senate draft proposal released any time this week, uh, and, and all indications are the White House and the Senate leadership plan on maintaining a, a total funding level closer to the $1 trillion mark. So there's going to be significant negotiation that needs to take place uh, to, to produce a final product. And Farm Bureau's continues to be at the table, uh, continues fighting uh, for the important programs that are necessary to sustain our food supply system and make sure farmers and ranchers can continue farming and, and, and can be out there um, providing the food system uh, to, to feed our, our nation. So there's negotiations are going to be difficult. Uh, as I said, this will be the most difficult round that we see. Uh, there will be a lot more partisanship, a lot more uh, political gamesmanship that's unfolding. However, at the end of the day, the White House, the, the Senate leadership, the House leadership, they do want to see a final product get across the finish line. Uh, I work a lot on the appropriations bills uh, throughout my, my tenure at Farm Bureau, and at the end of the day, I think we're going to see a product produced. Um, getting to that final hurdle is you're, you're going to, there's going to be a lot of uh, statements being made, a lot of uh, back and forth uh, between both chambers. However, I do anticipate seeing a final product hit the president's desk and that will be signed into law. Um, however, it's, it's, it's going to be a lot more difficult this round. Than, than in previous rounds where there was strong bipartisan support. I think there will be a lot more closer votes, a lot more amendments that are trying to be attached to these bills, and that just is part of the, the election year politics that plays out. And how will the calendar uh, for the next three months come into play? Because I know uh, Congress may not be in session very much longer because they're going to want to be out on the campaign trail. So and we, we are, got the, and we also have the conventions coming up next month too. The Democratic and Republican conventions are right around the corner. Absolutely. So uh, we, Congress, uh, the House is in session now for for this week and, and the next. Uh, the Senate was, I believe, is going to be in session through the first week of August, and then we're getting right into the convention season. And even conventions, uh, there's still a lot of uncertainty on, on how those are going to unfold um, and where they're going to unfold. And, and uh, so this, this is going to be new for, for everyone. Uh, the, the major issues that, far, that Congress is going to have to address is first, they're going to have to get some type of stimulus package across the finish line. I anticipate seeing that occurring before 
Congress breaks for recess. Uh, and as soon as they come back, we're going to start seeing the appropriations process uh, where the fiscal year ends on September 30th. The House is currently going through their appropriation bills. Uh, we're waiting for the Senate to, to kickstart on their end. Uh, there's nothing new there. I would I would anticipate all indications will will most likely see another continuing resolution come September 30th. Uh, now, how how far they will kick that deadline? I would anticipate something past the November elections. Uh, it's just a typical way that that would happen within election year. And then when Congress comes back during its lame duck session, they'll really tackle and and move forward and finalize fiscal year 21 appropriation bills. So there are um, there are issues that Congress and policies that they need to, to, to finalize. Um, and needless to say, uh, Farm Bureau's priorities still maintain and, and we're still working closely with both the Congress and the administration to, to ensure farmers and ranchers are voices being heard uh, through the entire process. Well, we appreciate all you and your colleagues up there in Washington do on behalf of all of our farmers and ranchers across the country. And uh, it, it is. These are unprecedented days, RJ. And uh, all of you have, it's just unlike anything. We were just that we were fortunate here in Arkansas where we had our uh, presidential visit up there the very first week of March uh, to visit the Hill. And then as soon as we returned home uh, that second week of March, the uh, pandemic broke out here in Arkansas, and we were all sent home. I mean, <laughs> we were fortunate to get that trip in, but uh, we appreciate uh, all you guys do. And uh, let's just hope that, uh, you know, I think uh, the president, the administration anyway, has understood the need to get this uh, relief out to the people. CFAP is also very important, isn't it? And uh, these programs uh, are essential to keep our food production system going. They absolutely are, and that's that's one where uh, during this August recess, as as your listeners and 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 members are are trying to or have opportunities, there's going to be opportunities that they will be different. They'll probably be in the virtual setting, but take advantage of when your senators and representatives are back in their district. Have the conversation, talk to them about the importance and the impacts that the pandemic has had. Uh, not only on your business, but within your family. And maintaining and sharing your story, talking to your members of Congress so they can hear directly from their constituents, that's what's needed to occur. So when they come back in session in early September, they can have uh, the priorities set and know what their constituents, how it's been impacting them, what programs are most needed to be changed, uh, which which ones need to be uh, possibly increased in terms of uh, getting funding within, and that's that's what's necessary. Uh, we we have staff at at the American Farm Bureau level, and you have excellent staff at the Arkansas level that can get into the fine details of the policy and the and the wonkiness that is Washington D.C. As farmers and ranchers, what you need to do is just share your story, share how policies impact you at your farm business, how they impact you within your family and at your rural community. That's where you can have the, the strongest voice, and that's what members of Congress and their staff want to hear. They don't need to get in, you don't need to get into all the details, the wonkiness, but maintaining a message, maintaining your, sharing your story, there's great impact in that. And 
the Arkansas Farm Bureau staff, the American Farm Bureau staff can fill in uh, the, the data points. You share your story on how it impacts you, your family, and your community, and take advantage of opportunities during this August recess when members are back home visiting their districts. Very, very well said. RJ, thank you very much for your time explaining uh, the issues for us and uh, how the Paycheck Protection Program is going to play out. Hopefully, uh, we will get that bill to the President's desk for those revisions here very soon before they recess, and we'll look forward to following the, prog uh, the progress of that legislation with you. Well, thank you very much, Ken. I really enjoyed the time today, and I uh, hope everyone stays safe and, and, does w and bees well. You as well. We've been speaking with uh, R.J. Carney. He is a director of congressional relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation in Washington on this edition of Arkansas AgCast. Finally, Ken chats with John Edwards, manager of Helena Harbors in Phillips County, who discusses a significant expansion being undertaken by the shipping facility and long-range plans for future growth. I'm with John Edwards, and John is manager of excuse me, of the Helena Harbor over in Helena in Phillips County. And uh, John, thanks for being with us on this little conversation today. Well, Ken, thank you very much for having me. Glad to be here. John, some exciting things are happening there uh, at the Harbor in Phillips County. Uh, I know you're located right there on the Mississippi River. The port is a very important uh, enterprise uh, for uh, all of our agricultural goods, certainly in the Delta of Arkansas and beyond. But tell us, uh, number one, just kind of inform our viewers about the importance of the harbor and why it's so crucial to the economy of Phillips County. Well, Helena Harbor is crucial to the economy of Phillips County. And if we continue on the path uh, that we're going, it'll be vital to the economy of the state of Arkansas as well as the region. Helena Harbor uh, is certainly one of the most uh, emerging ports uh, in the region. And by emerging, I mean that uh, we are still building a great deal of our uh, uh, infrastructure needed to be a place for uh, businesses and industry and agriculture to, you know, grow and prosper. Uh, contrast us with uh, uh, the port of Little Rock, for example, which mm -hmm. is what I would call a, uh, a nice, young, uh, mature, strong port with, with all of its infrastructure in place. That's what we're working on. We're working on things like uh, our water infrastructure system, uh, uh, which includes uh, putting in a pipeline uh, system that's big enough to handle future industrial needs. Uh, we, we plan to be building a uh, 500,000 gallon uh, elevated water tower in 2021. We've actually started on the initial uh, foundation work for that tower. Uh, been working on things such as in the last five years of rehabilitating our railroad line. We own approximately eight miles of uh, railroad track. Uh, we are served by the Arkansas Midland Railroad which connects a few miles away to the uh, Union Pacific Railroad. But, but if, if anyone were to categorize what we're doing at Helena Harbor right now, it is, it, it's getting what we call the enabling infrastructure in place. So we will have a, a good platform uh, to uh, serve, you know, all the uh, 
uh, interest that are so important uh, in Phillips County, including uh, including the agricultural interest. No question, uh, because and our farmers uh, in the Delta uh, have to take their grain, you know, to to a port at some point for shipping. And uh, I know many of them now because of the uh, White River, uh, they don't have those. Uh, elevators anymore in the White River to utilize. So I'm thinking many of them are driving their grain right to your port, aren't they? Well, they're right, currently at Helena Harbor. We are not um, uh, shipping grain from our side at the moment. We do have uh, a couple of feelers out with some uh, groups that are looking at the possibility of, of, of shipping some grain from our site. We are, uh, you know, the, from the ag perspective, we have a helm fertilizer uh, terminal where uh, uh, both bulk, bulk, dry, and liquid fertilizer are brought in by barge, and then you know trucked out to uh, distribution points, and ultimately the farmers uh, by 18 wheeler. Uh, but we are, we are definitely uh, working on you know the opportunities to have um, uh, you know some grain uh, terminals at our site. And of course, one of the uh, things that we have done at Helena Harbor. In 2017, uh, thanks to the help of the Walton Family Foundation, uh, we were able to engage Jacobs Engineering to help us with a long range master plan, uh, something that we had never had uh, at Helena Harbor before. Uh, and this master plan laid out a lot of scenarios and thinking, uh, both from the aspects of the markets and the types of industries that we need to be uh, looking after as well as the, the the infrastructure needs we needed to get in place and uh, 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 agricultural interest uh, ranked high in the in the kinds of uh, 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 you know businesses that we wanted to have uh, there at, at our harbor but whether it's whether it's agriculture or whether it's uh, uh, we have a we, it, I would call this our, it's our first, uh, it's, ma it's major for us, and I think any place in America would be proud to have them. Our first major tenant at Helena Harbor is a company called Envirotech. Yes. And Envirotech, uh, they are a maker of biodegradable liquid disinfectants. Uh, they, they make products that are used in the food processing industry. And one of the, one of the reasons they liked uh, the location in Arkansas uh, and, and the central United States was because uh, this put it put them closer to a lot of the poultry industry because many of their products are used to sanitize equipment in the poultry industry and and uh, the, the headquarters of this company is in Modesto California but when they saw our location and when they saw how we were centrally located in America and, and close to uh, much of the poultry industry in America, uh, you know, they felt like Helena Harbor was a good fit uh, for them. And, and here we are today on a Zoom call in a time of COVID. Yes. And uh, one of the things that the, the, the leadership of EnviroTech did earlier this year, and they did it in really short order, once they saw the magnitude of what we were facing, they converted one of their existing production lines at Helena Harbor into a line that makes uh, hand sanitizer. So they are now uh, working 24 seven, making all of their products, including 
hand sanitizer. And of course, that's having ripple effects of a positive nature. They're, they're using, they're bringing in more rail cars now. Uh, they're, they're looking to hire more people. They've already, they already have hired more people. And I fully expect, you know, within the next several months, uh, their employment at their Helena Harbor site will be approximately 130 people. That's fantastic. Uh, that's, that's great. And, and hopefully that will just lead to other industrial or industry uh, and companies wanting to locate there at the Harbor. They, they took the lead and now uh, hopefully you'll recruit more. I, one of the things about uh, success, I truly do believe it breeds uh, other success. Uh, there are some prospects that we're working with at this time. And one of the, the questions that comes up with them is that, uh, you know, they want to talk to uh, somebody who's already there. They want to know what their experience is like. You know, how hard was it to get built uh, at our location? How hard it is to work uh, and through issues? And, and, and one of the things, Ken, I can, I can say, and I think one of the highest compliments that I can give to our state, um, a few years ago, uh, we were working with a uh, very well-known international organization and uh, we were one of the locations that they've been looking at. Um, and the, the team of individuals that they had on their site selection team, they, they said that Arkansas from the top, you know, from the governor's office to the, the team at AEDC, that's the Arkansas Economic Development Commission, now uh, the, called the Arkansas Department of Commerce. I mean, there's still the AEDC, but it's the Commerce Department. Yeah. Uh, but but they they talked about what a seamless from top to bottom what a what a seamless process it was to work with um, you know us and our state and I, I think that's something we need to to uh, work very hard to keep because it does make a difference in, in how um, prospects you know see your site they they the, the site is very vital but they also want to know about the relationships with the people uh, and how they will respond to overcome any challenges that, you know, they may have as they come to your state. So I, I'm very pleased with what we've got going there. Well, infrastructure uh, is certainly key. Transportation in and out. You mentioned the rail that you have accessibility to uh, and right there on the river. So, you know, what makes Helena, and the port so attractive and, and how are you trying to really just kind of as we wrap up this conversation publicize uh the the uh, harbor going forward i think one of our strongest selling points ken is that we are a four thousand acre site that is located about an hour south of memphis tennessee memphis is one of the major uh, logistics points in the, in the world. Uh, being that close to Memphis with the availability of land that we have and the lack of congestion, that's really one of our big selling points. We are not a congested area. It's, it's, it's easy to get to us from a logistical standpoint. Uh, and once you get in there, if you, you're moving goods, we can get your goods moved in and out uh, very quickly. So 
the, the, the location is, 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 is critical, uh, lack of congestion. The fact that we have such strong uh, utility partners because uh, that's what uh, any major business uh, is going to want to know about. Yeah. Uh, is uh, what kind of utilities you have. You know, we we are served by Rural Electric Cooperatives, Woodruff Electric. Uh, we've got Centerpoint Energy. We have a 10-inch uh, Centerpoint Energy electric uh, gas line out there. So we we have those things in place. We we, we became an AT&T fiber-ready uh, certified site back in 2016. But you wrap those things together and I think that's what uh, makes us a uh, very attractive site right on uh, one of the most dynamic rivers in the globe, the Mississippi River. I mean, it, it's, a, it's, it's a great, uh, it's one of our greatest natural transportation resources and it, and it goes right by our site. So we're very fortunate from that. We have to now though, take what, we've been given and 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 get this infrastructure completed yeah. so we can be the kind of place where everybody can succeed well john thank you uh for sharing your story with us and uh and it's exciting to see what's happening you know in helena there at the harbor and we'll just look forward to following your growth and progress in the years to come well ken thank you and and i want to thank everyone with arkansas farm bureau i mean uh Agriculture is certainly uh, one of the most vital things that we have going on in not just in Arkansas, but for America. And we certainly appreciate the, the hard work that Farm Bureau does to represent our farmers and ranchers. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for this week. Thanks for joining us for another Arkansas AgCast. We'll be back next Thursday with the latest on the state's largest industry.